Welcome to Creative Conversations, the podcast by Creative Ventures, where we muse about how the world is changing, opportunities in startups, and just our thoughts on making good decisions and running a systematic investment process in an environment with ambiguity, uncertainty, and rapid change. In other words, just venture investing. Enjoy. All right. Uh, we have Kunal here, uh, who is our intern over the summer. Kunal. Yeah, um, I could give a little bit of back, uh, background about myself before we jump in. Yeah, let's um, do that. I'm Kanal. I'm a rising junior at Berkeley. Uh, I've been interning at Creative this last summer and really excited to share what I've been researching and what I've learned over the course of this summer. Yeah, so at Creative, uh, probably good to give a little bit of background. We do yeah. a lot of deep research in terms of these different areas, and the area that you were looking at, Kanal, was logistics, right? Yeah, so I was looking at the logistics and warehousing space. Um, it's an area that's extremely interesting and particularly focused on the way the role that automation can play in basically taking out a lot of the work that's being done for reasons that we'll get into in terms of there's a lot of labor shortages, there's issues with efficiency, consumer expectations that are driving the need for automation and improved efficiency in this space. So it was really interesting to be doing this research and there, it's a massive part of what we see in terms of you're getting packages delivered on Amazon, you're Things are coming delivered to your doorstep more and more. So it's a really interesting growing space. So it's an amazing topic to be researching this summer. Great. So let's get into the most important question first. How was your internship? <laughs> it was it has, absolutely. It was it was amazing. I really um, got to learn a lot in terms of broadly about venture capital. I didn't know a ton going in. A lot of what I thought I knew was from what I'd seen in TV shows like Silicon Valley. Right. And I realized that early stage venture is a very different sort of beast. I mean, I mean, unlike later in the game when firms are a lot more competitive, I think like there's a real sense of like collaboration amongst people to work and get to know founders. So that was really interesting just from broadly understanding venture capital. And then also I had a lot of opportunities to interact with and meet with founders, talk to people, conduct phone calls. And that was a really interesting process. And then on a third, on the third side of things was getting into deeply understanding the area of logistics and warehousing from the way that creative tries to understand problems and topic areas that we might be interested in investing in, which is taking a very deep approach, looking at what are the main like secular drivers that are actually causing this to be a problem that people should be trying to address. Great. I should have you uh, write our mar marketing documents for recruiting <laughs> here or just transcribe that word for word there. So very well said. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, jump right into it since we I think we got a lot to cover here. For so. sure, yeah. Uh, can you describe a bit about the research that you did over the summer? Uh, I think you already started jumping yeah. into it a bit, but I'll let you sort of start from the top to frame it out. Sure, yeah. So the logistics and warehousing space is extremely interesting for a couple reasons. There's, It's a very complicated process. The process of getting things from point A to B, point B might seem pretty simple, but there's actually a lot going on behind the scenes. So a lot of the research was focused on unpacking what are the intermediary steps that are required in getting your whether it be like giant concrete cargo freight or whether it be like your Amazon package delivered to your house and trying to understand what intermediary steps are required. So like you have freight forwarding, you have drayage, you have delivering a package to an actual to the actual warehouse and then what goes on within the warehouse. So a lot of the focus was actually particularly inside of warehouses and fulfillment centers and the way that e-commerce is having an impact on the fulfillment centers. So Maybe we could start by looking at kind of the broader trends and then go from there or yeah, I think that's starting. I think it's yeah. a complicated topic and the main focus was really looking at automation and the impact of 
the impact that automation could have on the warehousing and logistics supply and the supply chain as a whole. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So let's uh, jump into that piece that you were saying. So why why is uh, this a problem at all? Why why is this an interesting area at all? What's the what's the factor that's causing logistics to have interesting problems to solve? Yeah. So one of the factors, broad macros on a more macro level, is like the impact of labor shortage, which is something that we think about pretty deeply at Creative. And the blue collar workforce as a whole is shrinking. The trucking work, like, and within that, one of the subsets that's being pretty significantly affected is like trucking. We're seeing a lot of issues with trucking, and then as a whole, like warehousing, warehouse workers. There's a big push to automate the warehouses from the consumer side in terms of consumer expectations. So people want their packages delivered significantly faster than they than they are and the current solutions to this problem are extremely uneconomical so if you're seeing packages being delivered in uh like you're you're seeing your food being delivered in like a four-door sedan or you're seeing really just what's currently being done is not economical and companies are finding themselves forced to compete with the likes of amazon when it comes to e-commerce and that's leading them to adopt policies that are very like cost ineffective and it's placing a lot of pressure on like the labor side of things as well so like there's a huge cost drivers and then there's also like big labor and consumer expectations drive driving the need to focus on logistics and warehousing right and i think that's an interesting uh interesting area to jump into especially because we were just talking this morning to a executive in the uh, food services mm-hmm. industry who was actually saying that they just can't find folks to actually occupy the jobs that they need exactly, done, yeah. uh, which is an interesting contrast because you hear a lot of talk about how, you know, a lot of folks can't find jobs, you know, millennials are underemployed and everything. Mm-hmm. How I'm curious in terms of as you're thinking about it, is there a good way to sort of square that circle? Is there a reason why we seem to have both labor around but labor not around? Um, I think... Blue collar labor is kind of unique in terms of like the skill set or like what it's looking for. So like you've seen that the rates of people going like getting education has Mm -hmm. improved significantly. So like looking for a job in a warehouse or even like looking for the type of work that um, this food that food service workers would be doing in like say fast food or QSR has just become less and less appealing for people. Like they want to be able to have jobs where they're not working in a warehouse all day. Like warehouse warehousing specifically has a lot of issues in terms of like the conditions in warehouses. Like they can be quite de- extremely demanding on like physically, mentally. And like, it's just not an environment that people who might even have a f- college education or like a strong high school education would choose to go and work in. So people are, people's demands for like what they want to be doing at work is changing significantly. Right. So it's a collision of, demands from the consumer market of wanting faster and faster and faster delivery times Mm -hmm. uh amazon pushing that down to you know two days well first it was like you know free shipping then it was down to two days then it was down to one day yep they're trying to do one hour and everything Mm -hmm. that colliding with the fact that you know just raised standards of living and raised standards of life that people want uh so that's that's all those are all dynamics that are changing and changing the labor market as well Mm -hmm. Uh, i think one thing to also throw in there is just 
demographic changes in the sense that, you know, the boomer generation had come, the millennial generation is here. Uh, but just in terms of the number of uh, older folks we got mm-hmm. uh, versus number of younger folks in the workforce, the w- yeah. what economists would call the dependency ratio mm-hmm. uh, is getting worse in the sense that we have more older folks to support and fewer working younger folks to take these different jobs. And especially with the level of education and everything, uh, it makes sense to have people not do some of these jobs but we still need the jobs done. So that's an interesting tension there. Exactly. That, yep. I, that I think goes to the heart of your research. Yeah, definitely. You. That's that's exactly the tension there. Like people are expecting things. People aren't also, also aren't willing to. And like the reason they're actually like having those expectations even boils down to the fact that like standards of livings in, in general have been improving so much that like people expect that when I order something, it should be arriving soon. Like generally there's like an appreciation in the way like quality of life. And people aren't willing to do the jobs that require meeting that, those expectations. So that's like the driving factor, exactly, as you said. Okay. So I think you started covering sort of just listing through a lot of these different areas. But just for folks listening, uh, what, what are the specific interesting areas that you find this tension being the, uh, being, uh, being the biggest problem in? Yeah. So... If you take a warehouse like, say, Amazon, Amazon has done a lot to, and particu- more so speaking about fulfillment centers rather than warehouses as a whole, because warehouses themselves in like the more traditional B2B warehouse are much simpler in terms of you're taking in goods, storing them, and then releasing them in like a palletized fashion that does require some labor, but it's a much less pressing issue than if we're looking at fulfillment centers specifically. But if, so if you take like what an Amazon fulfillment center or warehouse looks like today, it's a lot it's highly there's a lot of robotics and autonomous solutions ever since amazon acquired kiva robotics about four years ago they've implemented a lot of those technologies the one thing that they haven't implemented is people are still even if people are getting the goods delivered to them in order to pack them into boxes those goods are still being taken off the units by people and packed into boxes by people so that's the one area that's like an actually large labor cost for them that is yet to be automated. So that's an area that's particularly interesting. So basically pick and pack solutions where that's a problem that many people are trying to approach with things like robotic arms and some applications of machine learning and AI. But it's a problem that is really unsolved right now in terms of how we can address it. And there's a huge opportunity to address it, even if like, because it would drastically reduce the number of workers you'd need in a warehouse. Right. So I think we get now why... You know, it's just hard to get some of these workers. But if just some of our listeners are hearing this and mm-hmm. saying, you know, what's so hard about picking up and putting down a package, right? Yeah. Shouldn't a robot be able to figure out how to do that? Yeah, you would you would imagine so. But so when you look at a warehouse, like part of the reason why like Amazon is so great is that you can order pretty much anything off Amazon, which means that their warehouses have to be prepared to work with products that range from a toothbrush you can get a go-kart delivered on Amazon. Like even though like a robot probably wouldn't be working with that scale, there's very, very high levels of variance, which create problems. So you have variance in terms of size, weight, value of products. Like how does working like, should a, is a robot, is it fine for a robot to be picking a thousand dollar laptop off a stock keeping unit? Or should a robot only be able to work with products that say cost something less than that? So there's a lot of different factors that make it really complicated to actually address the issue of, being able to have a robot or some sort of solution to pick items and place them into a pack right. package. Right. And I think just in terms of humans, it's 
hard to appreciate how much uh, you know complexity there is in even just picking up something, don't not squishing it, yeah. and putting it down somewhere in a smooth fashion. And while AI has the ability to do all sorts of interesting things, especially in areas with lots of data, mm-hmm. uh, this is actually a pretty hard problem for something that you know isn't evolved to have all these motor skills yeah. uh, to begin with. And it's not like we have much data on it either. Mm-hmm. So you might build a data mine, a you know s- set of data from Google to figure out you know when someone is searching for this, uh, what are they more likely to buy or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, that's kind. Of, that's actually a difficult knowledge worker analyst kind of problem these days. Uh, the, the the AI has a lot more AI and just machine learning robotics has a lot more trouble just articulating things mm-hmm. because where is your data set for that and uh, how do you actually come up with this complex uh, set of sequential decision making problems uh, yeah. is the technical term for it of picking something up and putting it down and why not just like swing it all around and like break everything inside before <laughs> yeah. putting it down I still got from point A to point B isn't that okay so mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's a harder problem than most people expect okay so that's yep. great so that's pick and place um, can you describe a bit more about why the, in terms of these fulfillment centers, like why, why is this in, in terms of fulfillment centers, warehouses, there's a lot of terminology that yeah. you threw in there. Uh, maybe describe what's the difference between a fulfillment center yeah. and a warehouse. Sure. Sure. So where let's start with, so I'll put it this way. A fulfillment center is a subset of a warehouse. And broadly speaking, the role of a warehouse is to take product in typically arriving palletized and like on trucks, store it, And in the traditional brick and mortar world that we once lived in, it would be then take that product and deliver it to another place where it'll probably be stored in the back of a store, back of a store. Um, A fulfillment center is very different in that a fulfillment center takes product in the same way a traditional warehouse does. And then it organizes it into stock keeping units where basically all the toothbrushes of a particular brand will be kept together and like stacked one on top of the other in order to maximize for space efficiency. And then when you place your order on Amazon and say, I want a toothbrush and I want XYZ to all arrive in my house tomorrow, which is what most people do, the fulfillment center actually goes out and literally fulfills that order. So basically goes out and finds the toothbrush, the chocolate bar, whatever you might've ordered, places it all together and then packages it into a box. And then the big difference is the final destination of a warehouse is typically to the brick and mortar store where those items are going to be sold. A fulfillment center is the goods are then going to leave the warehouse and end up outside your doorstep. So that's a very different side of the problem. And I'd love to also talk more about like what getting goods from a warehouse to the doorstep looks like in terms of the last mile and issues there. But there's a lot more, there's a lot of nuance even in that fulfillment center process. One of the other areas that's important to consider is like, truck loading and unloading that's a huge challenge and i think if pick and pack seems difficult loading and unloading a truck is probably unloading a truck isn't that hard but loading a truck autonomously is really really difficult and And, there's a big opportunity there right and why is that so the reason why it's difficult if you visualize like the trailer of a truck so unloading a truck might not be that difficult and there's solutions that work in that they basically take the items off pull the items to off towards the back of the truck and then uh, funnel them onto some sort of like conveyor belt, like almost like a vacuum is like what the solutions look like. And they work for goods that might be of low value. But if you were doing that with fragile products, it probably wouldn't work. 
But the reason why loading a truck is extremely difficult, especially in like the Amazon e-commerce world that we live in, a lot of the packages you're dealing with aren't palletized and they're all of different sizes and weights. So when you're trying to put the heaviest packages at the bottom of a truck and then being able to stack them all so that your least fragile, pra- the most fragile packages are at the top, the lightest packages are pre- prevented from being crushed, and then doing that in a way that you're basically ferrying in these goods and then sorting them out into where they specifically they need to be in a truck is a really complicated problem. And so a lot of this is being done with forklifts right now. It's being done like palletizing the goods at the location and then loading them on. But if there is actually potential for a solution where it recognizes the weights of each of the packages and how best to structure them within the con- within the trailer and doing it that way, there'd be massive opportunities because companies like FedEx is testing out a lot of these solutions. And another big challenge with the solutions that some of them are testing out is that they require retrofitted trucks as well. So like being able to work in the context of a loading bay, that's already pretty tight in terms of geographic physical space that's there. And being able to work with like existing truck infrastructure is a really difficult problem. And one, uh, another side of things is also if you're doing it with forklifts and those kind of drivers, there's a lot of liabilities that companies need to consider. And even if you are loading or unloading a truck with, um, with forklifts, there's actually still humans that are helping guide the things actually onto the forklifts. I was watching, it took like this, um, I was seeing how Hitachi was unloading some of their trucks and it was one forklift driver, but there was four people inside the truck kind of like finagling the things that are already there. So it is a complicated problem and like there's a lot of labor that can be replaced there too. Okay, so I think we're starting to get a map of what this landscape looks like. So Mm -hmm. it starts, well, I mean, it probably starts from, you know, manufacturing and shipping over to the U.S., say, if we're saying like China to U.S. uh, manufacturing lines. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the U.S., there are warehouses. Warehouses have stuff distributed to fulfillment centers. Yep. And in terms of fulfillment centers, then it gets into trucking in this case that I think you were talking about. Uh, and I think you had alluded to a, another step from there uh, after trucking, which is uh, some of the last mile stuff. Mm-hmm. So why don't you describe for our listeners, like, what what is this last mile thing? What's the problem with it? Why yeah. is it so hard? Because lots of people talk about last mile is very expensive. Sure, so yeah. why? So if you think about kind of looking, taking a broader lens to look at it, most of the warehouses we have in this country are pretty old. They were built in the context when America was like large industrial cities and large industrial distribution centers that were typically located outside of the cities where people actually lived in. Like if you think back to like, you'd have a distribution center probably like 50 or 100 miles away from like the actual downtown where like financial services and certain things might be happening and the majority of people live And what we've seen over time is like there's a large trend of urbanization. So more and more people are living within the cities away from these like larger industrial distribution areas. And now those people who are living in those cities are demanding their goods that much faster. And the warehouses are that much further away from where people actually are. So in order to solve that problem, you're left with the challenge of how do I get packages that have individual addresses that they need to go to to those people as fast as possible and as economically as possible. So like, yes, you could use like trucks and freight to get them in relative proximity to a city, but even then things need to be redistributed to go to actual individual people's houses. And this problem is even more complex when you consider the fact that we the US has urban, rural, and suburban type of 
or environments where people live in. And yes, urbanization has been a big factor, but most of the current delivery methods that you see are pretty much an, uh, agnostic to where things are being delivered. Like if you're living in a city, you'll see the same five UPS trucks go by in a day. Or if you're living in a suburban area, you might even see that as well. And rural areas, it's extremely expensive because the houses are really far from each other. So there's like a big problem with redundancy, with just the sheer distance that needs to be traveled. Um, it's also, if you look at things like food delivery and other things where like the last mile is that much more expensive because you're transporting $20 worth of food in like a four-door sedan that weighs a, a ton. So there's a lot of inefficiencies on that side of things too. But like the big factors are like the way the ecosystem was built was for a world that's very different to the world we live in today. Like that's why things like micro-fulfillment, which would be interesting to get into as well, are really interesting opportunities because you're bringing the warehouse to the city, which is where things need to be delivered. So like... So, so why don't you get in? So you said the world is very different, right? So I obviously yeah. like you were talking about some of these pieces, but when you're saying that the world is very different today and that creates different challenges, what specifically, what specific part of this are you thinking of? So the biggest challenge is like the way warehouses are distributed mm -hmm. relative to where like populations are distributed. Like historically speaking, like yes, the major a lot of new warehouses are being built as close to urban areas as economically possible. But as you know, like land is extremely expensive in those areas. Right. And these fu existing fulfillment centers actually take up a lot of space in the, due to some of the inefficiencies they have. So there's actually a lot of room for robotic solutions to improve the uh, efficiency of those existing spaces and really condense these spaces to the point where you could actually put them in cities. So yeah, one of the issues is the way warehouses are distribution, mm -hmm. distributed. And secondly, it's like the way consumers are behaving in terms of ordering goods, in terms of the dependence on e-commerce as well. Like there's right. the expectation that less and less people are going into stores to buy certain things. Like people once were never willing to buy clothes online. Now you have companies like, Z like Zappos or like Amazon, like Amazon Wardrobe. Like people are very open to buying things online, especially due to the ease of returning things, which is something that's improved drastically as well in recent times. So to summarize, it sounds like ge different geographic patterns that have changed over time. To mm -hmm. some degree, probably urbanization and different yeah. folks concentrating in these different areas which kind of relates to the first point, but is also sort of a stacking thing in terms of these areas mm -hmm. and land being very, very expensive near them. Yep. Uh, and then finally, there's just this change in consumer behavior and expectations where just more and more stuff is being ordered online, yep. more and more stuff is being delivered. And yeah, it, it is kind of interesting, right? Because we do see you know, a UPS truck, a FedEx truck, another UPS truck, an Amazon truck, and whatever, yeah. stop in front of the And city. the USPS guy who goes to every single house in the country every day, pretty right, much. Right, right. And yeah, it's uh, it's it's an issue even for these delivery networks, right? Because uh, even now, UPS, FedEx, they do injection into local uh, post office systems mm -hmm. because this last mile issue is such a big problem. So you're talking about some robotic solutions and other things, but when we're talking about that for last mile, yeah, uh, I think what one of the just in terms of calling out specifically what we've seen, right? There's mm -hmm. a lot of startups, uh, Starship Robotics, and these other ones that yep. do these little robots that run around on the sidewalk or yeah. other things. Like, what do you think of those? Yeah. So if you're building a sidewalk robot, you're probably trying to solve a problem that's bigger than a Waymo is trying to address with autonomous vehicles like if you can get a, a robot to actually traverse the sidewalk in a dense metropolitan city 
electric cars, uh, um, autonomous vehicles should be like a walk in the park. And like the reason why, why, yeah, why? Is that? So the reason why is that so there's many reasons, but let's start with the first one: is that there's no existing mapping of what the sidewalk looks like. There's so much variance in cities. Like I was walking on the sidewalk a couple days ago, like this bookstore had set up bookshelves on the sidewalk. Like there's no way that any mapping software could account for that. There's no existing mapping of the road. And then there's also human behavior on the sidewalk. And as bad as some people may be at driving, drivers drive in a typically orderly fashion. If you stay in your lane and you drive in the same direction on the sidewalk, there's no orderly fashion in terms of the way that people walk, especially if you look at things like scooters and things that are even complicating the sidewalk even more. You have people on boosted boards, you have people on scooters. Like the sidewalker is just an extremely complicated environment. So, and the reason why it gets even more complicated is like if you want to make this work. So take, for example, Postmates has rolled out their serve robot. They've placed a $12,000 LiDAR on a robot that travels on the street without a human walking around it to like give it any sort of protection. And that's going to walk on the streets of San Francisco. Like it's very in order to deliver a $20 burrito to someone like the economics of it don't add up. And the problem itself is also extremely difficult because it's highly susceptible to people tampering and causing causing issues with like the technology that's there too. So it's an extremely, extremely challenging problem. Like that's why I'm actually more interested in solutions like what um, say like refraction is working on in terms of having a robot that would travel in the bike margins or like even neuro is really working on making their robot as their vehicle as kind of thin as possible in order to not actually take up as much space on the road and like there's mapping and there's some sort of infrastructure to actually implement autonomous vehicles whereas autonomous sidewalk robots is going to be really difficult and part of that you even see with companies like amazon like they're trying to do that with amazon scout but they're not targeting metropolitan areas. They're targeting quiet suburban streets. Yeah, sorry, what, what's Amazon Scout? Yeah, so Amazon Scout is a ro- basically, similar, it looks a lot like Starship. It's kind of the size of about like a small like ice cooler on wheels. It's a six-wheeled robot that they're planning to use to help do the last mile of deliveries in suburban areas. But the reason why like that's a difficult proposition is that suburban areas face a lot less challenges. So... The way they envision it is like you'd have a prime driver who comes to X suburb and then they could disp instead of having to go then go to each house, they could dispatch these um, pr- these scout robots with the package and deliver it to someone's curb. The issues there are the fact that once the good actually arrives there, the person needs to come out of their house and take it out. Like it's not like the package will be left at your door. And the current iterations of these robots actually travel pretty slowly and they have humans walking with them. Mm-hmm. So even if you are in suburban areas where these are planning to be rolled out, it might even be faster for the driver to actually go around and complete those deliveries because of the fact that like they are suburban areas with pretty low levels of traffic and the houses are relatively dense. So I think part of their play there is to actually map out sidewalks and have software that'll do that so they could then try and implement something in a more urban area is something that I've read that they're considering. I'm not sure what their exact move is, but I'm not certain about the economics of actually using these droid robots that travel pretty slowly in suburban areas. Right. So I think for different folks listening, there might be a lot of uh, surprising things to unpack there. Probably the first one is $20 burritos, uh, which are... (laughs) Uh, I mean, I guess in a city with $12 avocado toast, $20 burritos, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, okay. Once you add in the tax and service fees. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, definitely our twenty dollar burritos out there in San Francisco cost a living. But uh, aside from that, uh, just in terms of sidewalks and everything, uh, yeah, I think that gets back to the theme that we're talking about. Where for certain things, uh, it might be easy for humans to navigate and deal with. So mm-hmm. you know, you would expect being able to navigate a sidewalk is easier than being able to drive. Yeah. Uh, but not as much for a computer just trying to run this, right? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, for these, uh, even things might happen faster, things might be higher stakes or whatever on the road, but the road has rules mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, you get drivers in San Francisco and everything, but <laughs> nonetheless, the road mostly has rules. Uh, most of the time they get followed and exceptions to it are relatively rare. On the sidewalk, all sorts of random stuff happens. Uh, yep. There's all sorts of things there. You mentioned bookshelves. Dogs, animals, people. whatever, people, people just sort of lying on the sidewalk or yeah. whatever. You gotta account for all sorts of things. So yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. Now, in terms of when we're talking about this last mile stuff, since you know, there's been a lot of activity and interest there just because the problem mm-hmm. and the expense is so high. Uh, you were talking about stuff that's traveling around the, alongside the side of the road and everything. Do you think those will ever actually be economical either? Does it make sense to do last mile with some of these robotic solutions at all? Um, I think it depends how you do. I think there are solutions that could be economical. It's like if you try and get the speed slow enough that you don't need LiDAR or you're not at least not use, you're only using solid state LiDAR, which is significantly cheaper than kind of the rotating LiDAR that like some of these um, robots are they're trying to be implemented with so there's potential that like those could eventually be economical and the other thing that a lot of companies could try to leverage in making it economic making the economics work is the marginal cost of solving that like last like say like the unprotected left turn problem like the amount of like radar and like technology that you need to solve that might be drastically more than if you were to say teleoperate for those particular scenarios and use the lidar or use the solid state lidar and like maybe camera technology to navigate in the easier scenarios that might be more cost efficient and there's also ways to lower the cost in terms of i think there is potential for some of those to be economical but the thing is those companies need to be you need to really be coming at it of like, we're going to make this cost efficient and not we're going to make this a robot that can drive on the sidewalk. Right. It's like, cause I think those are like two different problems that are being addressed. Yeah. And you just mentioned something that I think we've heard a lot more in pitches very proudly thrown out there, which is humans in the loop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so can, for all, I mean, for all of these different problems from trucking to uh, some of this last mile stuff, yeah, maybe even to pick and place, though perhaps less so. Uh, what what do you think of humans in the loop? Is it going to be an intermediate solution? Is it going to be a final solution? Does it make sense at all versus just full autonomy? Because a lot of the problems that we're talking about right now, right, are issues for full autonomy, mm-hmm. uh, just in terms of these things driving around, operating them on their own without any humans. Yeah. So I think some of the early solutions that we're seeing are going to require humans as like intermediaries. And I think unless the cost of things like LIDAR decreases order of magnitude wise, humans are probably going to still be in the loop, at least in terms of these um, robots and like vehicle technologies. 
And I think another big issue that this comes down to is like trust as well. Mm -hmm. Like knowing that like there's a human in the loop, like provides some sense of trust, at least in the early days before this technology is like fully rolled out. So there's a company called KiwiBot that's actually, I, I go to school in Berkeley and they're a lot of their robots running, roaming around Berkeley, except the solution they have isn't exactly autonomous. It's like a waypoint based um, navigation. So, and they have a lot of actual humans biking around on bikes to provide support to these robots in terms of when they fall over. And like, there's some sort of trust that people have due to the fact that they know that there's an actually a human navigating the waypoints. So they, it's not exactly an autonomous solution. So it's not really a comparable to something like Starship or Postmates Serve. But it's the idea that like they have a lot, they still actually need to have a lot of humans around, even for a solution that's not autonomous. Like there's an not just like humans doing the driving, but like humans providing the support. So that's another part to consider as well for these companies. Right. And I guess there's the liability issues as well, where it's easier to assign a person a mm -hmm. li liability or fault than it is to assign. What are you, what are you assigning exactly? The yeah. algorithm, the robot, the company sort of backing it, the company that owns it. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of hairy issues there. There's as a lot well. of ethical questions around there too. Right. So if we're to look at this landscape, right, you've laid out a lot of things. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot to unpack here. So, you know, you have all the way from the warehouse and fulfillment centers mm -hmm. to uh, these different trucking solutions and the issue in terms of loading and unloading there. Yep. Uh, we have these last mile things, micro fulfillment. So talk to me a little bit about what you think are some of the most interesting opportunities in these areas. And we can talk a little bit later about what sort of the farther future might look like in yeah. terms of all these different areas, but at least in terms of near term, where do you think, uh, what do you think are the most interesting areas, especially from an investment perspective, looking at these different things? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think one of the areas that's actually really interesting is like the idea of micro fulfillment because it solves the problem, last mile problem to a very large extent by reducing the amount of distance that people have to travel during the last mile. Because the last mile itself currently makes up not even the last mile between the warehouse to the person, but like the last mile between like the warehouse to like the FedEx distribution center that's relatively urban. And that last mile all makes up nearly 50% of the costs of getting a package to a person. So in micro with micro fulfillment, you're able to actually leverage like the ideas of suburb uh, urbanization, the idea that people are wanting their products that much faster and helping enable those technologies to take place is a huge opportunity. I think like because of the fact that it reduces the downtime in terms of people getting their orders so that these e-commerce solutions will actually be able to compete with brick and mortar on issues like grocery or pharmaceuticals. Like if you need a medicine, you will be able to order it and it'll arrive in the next hour. Like at that point, you're pretty much on par with brick and mortar stores. So help me visualize. So th that's that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Lots of costs, lots of opportunity, lots of pain here. Mm -hmm. uh, help me understand what micro fulfillment actually looks like, though. Sure. Right? Yeah. Because it's just like if you're looking at it, trying to think about it. What what is micro fulfillment? Is just lots of small fulfillment centers. Like what what is it going? Yeah. To look like? So one of the ways. So one of the ways that I envision micro fulfillment to be like is a real distri a distribution of fulfillment centers within a large urban area. So take like a city of New York, like you could have like two or three distribution centers, even on like just the island of Manhattan. And the idea there is you're taking less, 
uh, and New York might not necessarily be the best example, but you're taking space that comes that stores are forced to keep. So like brick and mortar stores often tend to have like a small warehouse or like storage area in the back. And the idea behind micro fulfillment is that you can use a lot of robotics technology, like very space efficient ASRS, which is automated storage and retrieval systems in order to be able to keep goods in a way that can be retrieved really quickly by robots and minimizing the amount of space you need for humans to actually like, you won't need like an aisle that a human can walk through. You simply just need the space that the robots can actually carry this product through or like the robots can be delivered through like a conveyor belt system within it. So one implementation is in the back of existing stores. And typically these micro fulfillment centers will initially target your larger chain and big box retailers in the US. But um, there's another application where underutilized space, such as say underground parking garages or certain areas that may not necessarily be the most conducive for traditional warehouses in terms of they might not have the height requirements, they not be, may not be able to have like certain temperature storage or certain factors that might be difficult to address with a traditional warehouse. You're able to really increase the storage density and the velocity with which items are fulfilled by using a lot of robotics and conveyor belt type of systems in order to store and retrieve goods. So this sounds like a little bit like the main issue is real estate and real estate costs or just in terms of these micro fulfillment systems, if the main technologies you're talking about are space saving, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. One of the costs is like the fact that you want items to where people live as fast as possible and like warehousing space is expensive there. Right. So if we're thinking about this, then is there, so startups that want to do the, because it sounds like something that's a a Walmart, well, maybe not a Walmart for urban centers, but sure, CVS or someone like that with existing chains, existing stores could implement. But I imagine one of the players that's most interested in doing this is Mm -hmm. one that doesn't have a lot of existing brick and mortar stores in a lot of these areas. And that's Amazon, right? Yeah. Yeah. They have Whole Foods now. They have some Mm -hmm. Amazon Go stores, some Amazon four-star stores, but uh, they definitely don't have the type of penetration that say, you know, CVS, Walgreens, et cetera, Mm -hmm. have. Uh, so who is who will be the ones to implement the solution and will startups have any opportunities in these spaces? Yeah, so I envision the customer being more closer to like the Whole Foods, uh, sorry, not the Whole Foods, um, CVS target type mm-hmm. of company. One of the biggest areas where micro fulfillment has actually been targeted is the grocery market. So the issue with delivering groceries is that Groceries are perishable. They can't be coming in from a warehouse that's an hour away from where they need to be. And they sit in a UPS truck the entire day till it gets to your house. So more perishable goods that are in urgent need. So groceries are one example. Medicines are another. And the the role for startups is the technology that they're able to provide to these centers. So like they may not be the ones acquiring the space. So CVS might still go and buy this space. But they're providing the full solution in terms of this is the storage system. This is the way your platform, your um, items, when you receive an order, will come to the front, placed in bags, and then sent to someone to deliver these items. So the role for startups is more of a technology type of building out the robotics in order to do really space-efficient ASRS. And one of the big companies that comes to mind, or startups that comes to mind, is Common Sense Robotics. They're based out of Israel and they're actually have been piloting with the largest um, 
medical is like the largest pharmacy company in Israel. So there has been a demand for startups who are able to effectively do this. And I think it's an interesting area that I'll see, you'll see more startups crop up in as like people want their products and being able to actually compete with brick and mortar. On the question of whether Amazon would do this type of stuff, I think Amazon very well could. And like in order to actually be able to compete with brick and mortar, if they can get down to a one hour delivery time from a one day delivery time. Yeah, it's huge in terms of people will go away from using the products that they might have once gone to the store to buy. And I'd be even really interested in seeing how Amazon could leverage their acquisition of PillPack and doing something in the healthcare space to deliver medicines to people within the hour. Like that could be a really interesting area for them to explore. Right. And I think so one of the pushbacks that I can imagine in terms of this vision that you're painting out, right, Mm -hmm. is that Amazon's part makes sense. They're doing well in e-commerce. But I mean, even just recently in terms of these different earning calls and different things that have been uh, that have been like just leaks that have been released in terms of internal discussions Mm -hmm. for Walmart. Uh, Walmart is considering whether or not it actually makes sense to compete in e-commerce versus Amazon. Yeah. Uh, at least the last time I went to Walgreens's website, they weren't the best. They didn't look like the best uh, e-commerce site in the world. Yeah. Uh, so what? So a lot of this vision like hinges on some of these existing brick and mortar stores wanting to compete with e-commerce. Yeah. Can they? Will they? Does that make any sense? Uh, yeah. I think they'll be forced to at after a certain point. Like they can pursue curbside pickup or ways that will make it easier for the customer to get what they want. But after a certain point, like people will turn to Amazon as their main provider for goods online. And that's a large enough market that these companies will miss out on a massive amount. So if like Amazon could deliver you your product in one hour, why would you go to Walmart to buy it? Right, which totally makes sense to me and is, is an argument, I think, on the side of, uh, is I think recently Ben Thomas, Stratechery, like mm-hmm. his stuff a lot, was mentioning, yeah, maybe Walmart should just not compete in e-commerce. Yeah. And I think one of my pushback points to that would be, yeah, I mean, you could try to sort of ride your business down into the sunset. Uh, but one of the issues that you're going to encounter is I think that sunset's coming a lot faster than you might expect. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, you know, at least from a shareholder perspective, maybe the, you know, present value uh, discounted cash flows going forward, uh, you might want to still preserve some of that business that you have. But I guess one of the things just sort of thinking about it out loud here, right, is that, yeah, a lot of these uh, competitors to Amazon and to these different e-commerce platforms just haven't done very well in trying to yeah. do that. I mean, they've done, tried to do pick, curbside pickup. Mm-hmm. They've tried to do all these different things, and they just haven't pushed forward that much. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's difficult. E-commerce is so, like, and nobody, everyone knows that Amazon doesn't make money doing e-commerce as well is, like, a big thing, right? Like, they have AWS and they have ads, so that even when you see their earnings and their present value of discounted cash flows, things look pretty good, right. partly due to the fact that they aren't, purely an e-commerce company. And so now if you see, take like a company like Walmart that has like, long-term they've been pretty successful as a company, but now if they are starting to build out this e-commerce platform, yes, they're going to see a lot of losses in the short term, maybe medium term as well. Right. But for that like long-term preservation, it's hard to know where like investor sentiment will be in order to recognize that this next 
two years or something might be really difficult as an investor. So they're faced with a trade-off there because, yeah, at the end of the day, Amazon doesn't really make money from delivering you goods the way... They, yeah, they don't make money from that. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it definitely is interesting. But I suppose this vision still works even if the true future is owned only by Jeff Bezos uh, in terms of going out there and it's Whole Foods, then maybe Amazon goes out and acquires CVS or Amazon yeah. goes out and acquires these other uh, company, uh, other like brick and mortar retailers and are able to build out these micro fulfillment centers, as you say. Yeah. I mean, Whole Foods itself is actually like a pretty well distributed. Yes, it's kind of um, favor, favors like high, high income areas, but it's actually like a relatively well distributed network that they could look to leverage as a fulfillment center type of model. And Amazon's actually been in a lot of talks about having not just Whole Foods as a grocery platform, but having their own type of grocery platform as well, which could combine some of the ideas of micro-fulfillment alongside the fact that one of the issues with grocery as well is that people, at least in the U.S., grocery e-commerce, like grocery delivery has seen a lot of traction in countries like Korea and the U.K., but in the U.S., like penetration rates are typically are still pretty low in like 3%. And people like to go to the store and like touch and smell the produce that they buy. And like that's actually like an issue for people in terms of ordering goods, which could cur- um, curb the success of this down the line. So it'd be interesting to see what Amazon does with their own grocery platform as well. Right. So just in terms of how we generally invest, right, we generally don't mm-hmm. look towards presupposing what the solution is. Yep. So we generally look for requirements and criteria for a particular solution, which might be very creative, out of the box, something we haven't even thought of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I saw in the deck that you had put together initially for this project, you had micro-fulfillment centers that were vans or something driving around. Yeah, there's people who are attempting to do that. Yeah, so all sorts of creative solutions. Maybe someone will actually make a drone thing work or something. Yeah, they've all been approved. We'll see. Uh, Like, they've been approved to do some sort of trials, like Amazon, UPS. Yeah, so all sorts of battery to, you know, being able to stay in flight and have any sort of load issues. But nonetheless, let's... We don't mind, we, we don't try to presuppose what the solutions are, but right. let's, uh, so what what are the criteria that you see for uh, different technologies or different startups that mm-hmm. uh, will be attractive investments in this space? Sure. So I guess we can start with, say, like pick and pack solutions, right? Mm-hmm. Like Amazon has, and other companies may have put out these numbers, but Amazon's rumored that a typical pick and scanner, basically, which is what the person does, they pick the items, they scan it, and then place it in a box. They can do 300 pick and scans in an hour. What existing technology is able to do 200, like even some of the, like, there's some researchers working out of Bayer, so like UC Berkeley's um, artificial intelligence lab, they're able to do in the range of around 200 picks and 200, 300 picks and scans is actually pretty different from just picking 200 items. Mm-hmm. So they're able to pick and then just drop them. So like now you need the dexterity of being able to pick them, scan them and then place them somewhere. So that kind of gap, even though 200 and 300 might sound similar, it's actually a pretty different problem. So that's a crucial criteria for that. Right. And the other idea is like, how much variance are you able to work with? So mm-hmm. what, like, is your solution just a robotic, a suction cup on a robotic arm? Is it something like hand looking? Like, what 
what exactly it looks like. I mean, I don't know. If I knew, I'd probably go and try to do it and sell it to Amazon. Sure. But um, yeah, what the solutions actually look like. And it's pretty much being able to meet the velocity that's needed. Because at the end of the day, if you think about it, warehouses and fulfillment centers are purely just a combination of storage density and velocity. Like right. that's all you need. And so ASRS and micro fulfillment centers are addressing the storage density problem. So like if you're able to increase velocity and um, increase storage density, you're it's a great recipe. So one of the metrics with looking at these micro fulfillment centers is how much space do they actually need in order to still be viable and like fulfill a decent, like an entire day's worth of orders. Right. So it sounds like three things uh, kind of cutting across the board, right? So space, mm -hmm. uh, speed in terms of being able to, uh, would you say match or exceed human capabilities or well, what's the what's the magic number that you have to exceed? I mean, I think even if robots could do 300 picks an hour, I think companies like Amazon would consider replacing humans to do that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Due to the fact that a lot of Amazon's actual numbers that they pump out have known to be have been known to be slight overestimation in terms of what they actually expect in order to drive up performance, which is an understandable tactic on their part. So I think even if you're able to actually just match 300 pick and scans and place in an hour, yeah. Okay, so it sounds like space, speed, and ability to handle variance yep. uh, are the big factors in terms of whatever it is that's trying to tackle things in this area. Yeah. I, I would agree with that, yeah. I mean, space and speed, you can even get up somehow. Variance is going to be a really, really difficult problem. Right. But yeah. they're all, all three are, yeah, it's the holy trinity. Right. Yeah, and I think the, and when you were talking about the folks who were able to do the 200, these were the Dexnet folks or? Yeah, so some of their research, and so they have a video on YouTube that has a, basically a running counter in terms of how much like what their rate would be in terms of per hour. So they were able to fl it fluctuated between somewhere from like 170 to even up to like 260 per hour, right. but purely picks, which right. is different in terms of just moving a good, a really short distance and placing in a box rather than moving a good, putting that good through a scanner and then placing it in a box. Right. Yeah. And it's easy to underestimate the dexterity that humans have. Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, one of the classic, very, very hard problems that everyone kind of laughs about is folding a towel, right? Mm -hmm. That's a classic, the thing's kind of floppy, hard to tell which direction's which. Uh, actually, in terms of even certain cases, myself holding a towel, trying to like, you know, <laughs> hold it up and everything. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's an extremely hard problem that a lot of engineering students like to put a lot of their time into trying to make a robot that mm -hmm. kind of makes that work and it's a lot harder than you'd expect so yep. a lot of these things that you know from a lay perspective you look at it and it's like yeah that should be easy it actually isn't that easy mm -hmm. and i th and this is actually one of our broader conclusions in terms of the firm right we find that knowledge workers in many cases are actually far easier to replace than uh, manual labor because mm -hmm. manual labor has a lot of these different aspects of dexterity that are just way harder to capture versus a knowledge worker who sits in front of a computer all day. Yep. Uh, most of what they are doing are captured in that computer and a computer can, as such, also replace a lot of the different aspects of them. So uh, 
yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting, it's a, definitely an interesting area and definitely an interesting set of problems that folks have to a, attack here. So with that being said, I mentioned that, you know, we don't presuppose solutions, but mm-hmm. uh, let's just have a little bit of fun here and like, <laughs> think about, all right, so this big chain of uh, warehouse fulfillment centers, trucking, and last mile delivery, right? Yeah. What is the, just in terms of if you were to think wildly, uh, what is the, what might the future look like in terms of a highly uh, autonomous, roboticized, whatever the future looks like? What, what would you think that these different pieces sure, look yeah. like? So I guess we'll start with autonomous trucking because that'll be here soon enough. Mm-hmm. We have like companies like Starsky, Volvo, they're all working on it and like they've piloted test runs. So your goods are going to get to fulfillment centers and warehouses on a truck without a person. Ideally, those goods would then be removed from those good trucks without a person. Right. And then they'd go through some sort of even a potentially dark warehouse. So dark warehouses are the idea that you don't actually need people. Like there are fully autonomous warehouses. And JD.com in China has actually got a really cool YouTube video that I'd recommend to check out in terms of the way they've been able to make a fully autonomous fulfillment center will work. And yes, some of those solutions are very, they're using that traditional um, robotic. robotic arm type right. of solution. Not sure whether they actually address the issues of density, variance, and velocity, but it looks great and it works to it from what we can see. Um, so yes, there could be potentially dark warehouses in that the goods are never touched by a human in the warehouse. You don't have the same people going around in forklifts, palletizing goods, taking them off, picking them, putting them in your box. So the goods go into the warehouse, they're sorted, stocked. And then once you place your order, those goods are actually... So I guess an intermediary step that's important is that warehouses outside of the city might be great, but you're also storing the goods that you need in short-term periods based on like a lot of deep technology to actually do prediction of when people want goods and what goods people are demanding in urban areas to the point where I can go on my computer, order something... And it shows up an hour from now. Like that's the future, right? So how that good gets to you, it's really, really hard. Like ideally, maybe we could have a, dr- have a drone that flies and drops it off at my house in a city. Maybe these droids will work. I really don't think they will. But um, maybe you'll have an autonomous vehicle like Neuro pull up. And then you'll have a robot that gets out and actually walks and brings it to my door. Like maybe that's the future. Who knows? But I think... Well, another thing that's really interesting, we didn't really talk about it, is like, are people satisfied with curbside autonomous solutions is an important question to ask. And living here in sunny California, it's great. It's like not a big issue to get out of the door and go pick up my Postmates. But say I'm in Chicago in Hale, like, yes, I want the Postmates to come in my apartment building to my door. So uh, to what extent is that a challenge that people are going to address? And it's it'll be interesting to see what types of autonomous solutions are able to actually create a robot that can walk to my door or even like there's more futuristic ideas of um, package storage built into like front doors where like robots would be able to deposit it into a storage system that goes into my door even if I'm not at home. So a lot of interesting things going on and it's exciting to see where we're going to go and I'm really convinced that like Amazon, JD.com, Alibaba, these e-commerce providers are going to be the ones driving the change because they have the largest incentive to do it compared to like your 3PLs or your third-party logistics providers who are less incentivized to actually be making these changes and really revolutionizing the way 
people are getting goods delivered and the way goods are being moved around. Well, great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's an exciting sort of future to be thinking about and uh, yeah, and keep addressing the challenges that keep facing this diff- these different industries. Mm-hmm. Uh, which probably a conversation for another time, but you know, just in terms of autonomy and what its effect is on the labor market that we have as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, yeah, definitely a con- longer conversation for a different time. But I think part of our what we've seen, at least within the market, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's useful to address because we even have a presidential candidate whose main, uh, who's one of his main uh, pushes is actually the fact that autonomy or the claim that autonomy is taking away all these jobs. Mm-hmm. At least a lot of what we've seen, the different folks we've talked to and everything, it's less autonomy is taking away the jobs, it's autonomy is being forced on these companies because no one is doing the jobs. Yeah. And when you look at how unfortunate the conditions often are and how, you know, just in terms of pay, uh, it isn't that great either. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to pay more because, you know, as Amazon, it's hard to charge more to the customer for shipping, especially right. with free shipping now. It's hard to actually pay these people more. It's hard to actually get people now to do these jobs at all. Uh, Causation-wise, most of what we've seen is actually the direction of autonomy being caused by labor shortages, not autonomy taking away jobs from people and yep. causing labor unemployment yeah that's why like alongside that kind of holy trinity or whatever we want to call it it's like the ability for solutions to also be somewhat collaborative Mm -hmm. is something that's important to bear in mind because the initial versions of what we'll see are still going to have a large human factor involved as well so right something to bear in mind right unless the labor market forces even more autonomy on us faster i guess yeah that's true that's true so interesting exciting times ahead Yeah, and uh, we'll have to keep seeing and we'll keep observing and doing what we do, which is watching the market, seeing what's out there and uh, helping back and support the best companies we can find out there. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Kunal. And uh, sorry to be losing you after this summer. Yeah. Yeah, same here. Thank you so much, James. It was a pleasure working with you. And I'll give a shout out to Alex as well, who was really mentoring me and helping me throughout the entire course of the summer. So thank you so much to both of you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And we got actually Alex behind the microphone here also nodding. So I think he agrees with you. Absolutely. I hope to hear more from the creative podcast. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Kunal. See you, James. All right. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you typically go for this sort of thing. If you like what you hear here, uh, visit us online at creativeventures.vc. Take a look at our other content and subscribe to our newsletter. If you want to get in contact, email us at invest at creativeventures.vc or tweet me, James, uh, at A-V-A-N-T-O-S. Thanks and hope to see you next time.